With episode 37, we begin a mini-series about increasing equity for all learners with two of the authors of the text, Numeracy for All Learners, Teaching Mathematics to Students with Special Needs. Don't worry if you haven't read this book or even if you have never heard of it. This series is for all stakeholders. That's parents, teachers, coaches, and principals. And the episodes are divided into small chunks because I want to make sure that you have the chance to absorb and reflect on everything presented. In this first episode of this series, we begin to create a shared understanding and background of what is meant by numeracy and also a shared understanding of the math recovery pedagogy and guiding principles. Episode 38, subtitled Using Wait Time, continues the discussion about the guiding principles and also discusses why using wait time is a crucial instructional strategy to use in the classroom. Part three of the mini-series begins a conversation about culturally relevant teaching and provides ready-to-implement strategies for making math tasks accessible for all learners. The last episode of the mini-series is a bonus episode that helps us connect all of the pieces of the mini-series together. If you're an educator, invite your teaching partners or maybe even your admin to a listening party for this mini-series on increasing equity for all learners. I also suggest having a notepad and pen nearby to take notes. To help you remember to take your time with the ideas presented, I am gradually releasing this mini-series. For now, let's get started with gaining a shared background. Welcome to the Kids Math Talk podcast, where in each episode, we give parents and educators practical tips and insights that will deepen mathematical understanding while also encouraging the conversation about math to remain active and positive. I'm your host, Desiree Harrison, elementary math coach and Kids Math Talk founder. On the podcast, we have the lead authors of the text, Numeracy for All Learners, Teaching Mathematics to Students with Special Needs. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thanks for having us. My name is Pam Tabor. I am the Research and Evaluation Specialist at the U.S. Math Recovery Council. I have been a part of math recovery before the council even um, was incorporated in the late 1990s is when I first did my math recovery training. I can say it has been the single most impactful training that I've ever had. And I've had the great pleasure of being involved in two of our books. And so that's also been a very rewarding experience. So I'm glad to be with you today. My name is Dawn Dibley, and I am also a co-author of Numeracy for All Learners. I am a retired special education teacher. And um, at the end of my career, I was a math coach for the special education teachers in the district where I worked. I became acquainted with math recovery in 2007 when I took my first training, and it was a really important part of my job. And now I'm currently a part-time instructional coach for U.S. Math Recovery. Already an impressive resume from both of you. 
And we're going to get into some great conversation today. I have known about math recovery for not quite as long. I would say around 2017 was really when it picked up on my radar. And I had some training in a few different courses. And I additionally had the opportunity to go with two teachers to the last live conference that you all nice. had that was in Rhode Island. And like you all were saying, like the, the training has been life-changing and that conference was incredible. You all referenced the conference when you first start the book. And that was, I was like, I was there. Like, this is like, I know exactly what you all are talking about. And one piece that you do mention is Dr. Norton's keynote. And, you know, that was amazing viewpoint for math recovery. I remember a lot of fractions speak Mm -hmm. and just delving deep into that. And nothing is elementary or, you know, like simple Mm -hmm. about elementary mathematics. There's just so many different connections and everything. So since I've taken many of the courses, I have many of the different books for math recovery. They're known as by the color of the cover. So I now know them as the red book, the purple book. So this is the brown book now. And in many ways, these different books hold some of the same discussion threads. But then there's one essential difference that's highlighted in the last section of the introduction of the introduction of this book, where you all state that you hope the book will spark honest conversation and critical dialogue that will lead to a revolutionary shift in the way students with special needs are typically taught mathematics. So that's really what we're here to talk more about today is that critical dialogue and honest conversation. And I want to start with some definitions. So everybody who's listening has a shared understanding. So what is meant by numeracy and how are you all expanding the definition and breaking stereotypes that are associated with the term special needs. I'll start. Numeracy refers to the critical foundational concepts that undergird all mathematics content. One critical concept is the development of what we call units coordination and then the skills that support that development. This involves the ability to use numbers in everyday life and make connections from one part of mathematics to another. We also talk about this as number sense. So this is the essential development for higher mathematics. Units coordination correlates highly with the development of higher mathematics, including algebraic thinking and even readiness for calculus. Without it, students are truly handicapped in mathematics development, regardless of whether or not they have an IEP, a 504 plan, an EL plan, or any other document that affords them any kind of special services. When I first took this training, I was just entering my new role as a math coach for special education teachers. And I was blown away. And I was really frustrated that my colleagues, my fellow special education teachers didn't know this, didn't have this training. And so my focus right away became, okay, how do we get this um, out to my colleagues and how do we have it impact the instruction that we give our students? You know, everyone has strengths and needs and we all have different needs based on our current situation. Sometimes we say that we are temporarily able-bodied. You know, you never know what's going to happen in your future. So as teachers, we need to enable all students students to leverage their assets to meet the needs of, understand 
mathematics. You know, everyone has a right to understand the mathematics that they do. We really think that's a matter of equity. Um, I think there are a couple of things that happen when we're teaching students with special needs. Um, one problem is the teachers don't have a clear understanding of how numeracy develops. And so they're not able to engender that development in their students. And secondly, we want to be really helpful. And so we teach our students tricks and procedures to help them get by and keep up. And I don't think this just happens to students with disabilities. I mean, this can happen across the board. And I want to also upfront say that I don't mean what I say in this podcast to be a criticism of teachers who, who provide these services. They need to know a lot. They need to know about math and reading and the specific needs of their students and social and emotional support and due process requirements, which is a lot of paperwork. And then they're also faced with the expectation that they'll help their students keep up. So I just really want these teachers to feel empowered to that they can get to know their students better and that they can help their students develop real mathematical understanding. Thank you for saying that. So many different responsibilities and so many different decisions. And there's just, there's always something to do. So uh, our minds are sometimes in so many different directions. I don't believe that anyone goes into teaching to, to not do what's best for kids. We're all growing, right? We all learn something new every day. And so we can't beat ourselves up for what we don't know. We can just try to learn a little something new every day. I've even heard you, Desiree, on previous podcasts say, oh, I used to do that. I, you know, and I think we all have things that we would like to go back and maybe apologize to former students. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I was doing the best I could at that time, but now I know better. So yeah, we're all growing. Important point to continue to say to ourselves and say to each other. We have to give ourselves grace. Throughout the book, there are lots of task groups, group and activity suggestions for teachers to use. And um, that's a similarity with, with many of the other math recovery books. It's something that is really appealing for teachers as they're deepening their understanding of what math recovery is and can do. There's something that you can take immediately and apply. But for the audience listening who might not be familiar, can you all give us a background of the guiding principles and the math recovery pedagogy? Well, in um, Numeracy for All Learners, the guiding principles are presented in a chapter titled Good Instruction for All Students. And many teachers will learn about these principles and think, well, that's just good instruction. You know, what's, what's the magic sauce here? And we agree with that, but we also want to make sure that all students have access to this good instruction. In math recovery, we've codified this good instruction into what we call guiding principles to make sure that all students have access to this good instruction. What we thought we'd do is just go through the guiding principles and I'll state the principle, explain what it is, and then Dawn will add a bit of commentary on that. So the first guiding principle is inquiry-based or problem-based teaching. The teaching approach is inquiry-based, that is problem-based. Children routinely engage in thinking hard to solve numerical problems, which for them are quite challenging. So this is the idea of problem-based teaching is in contrast to a teaching strategy we're probably all have heard of, I do, we do, you do, or gradual release of responsibility. I do, we do, you do is appropriate for teaching skills such as forward or backward number word sequence 
classes. But for students to build understanding, we want to give them problems within their zone of potential construction, building on the foundational knowledge that they possess. I just want to thank you for saying the the yeah. I do, we do, you do, do piece. You do. And, mm-hmm. and the, the gradual release is not something that we want to just grab onto. But thank you for mm-hmm. saying that it's also not something that's just inherently bad. But because you, you gave examples of when it might be place. used for. So because mm-hmm. I think oftentimes if teachers are hesitant or resistant, then they're thinking like everything that I know is going to be taken away. And that's not necessarily the case. So thank right. you for pulling yeah. that out. So I think when we talk about constructivist teaching, we want to include teachers in that. So we want to find out, you know, as a coach, we want to find out where teachers are at and we want to build on the great things that they're already doing. If you use I do, we do, you do, when are some great times to do that? And when are some great times to try other things that that I want to expose you to. I was just going to say too, that we also make a distinction between problem solving experiences and then what we call rehearsal mode. So rehearsal mode is when we're trying to um, help students develop facility with understandings they've already constructed, but maybe it's not really solidified. So we might gamify experiences so they get more practice um, and then develop that habituated understandings and, and what others might call automaticity with basic facts, for instance, or when we're working with things that are culturally based knowings. So conventions of mathematics. So the number words we use, the the order, that's, you know, that's a cultural convention. And so it's going to be different depending on whether I'm speaking Spanish or not. So the only way I can know that is if somebody else teaches me that information, tells me that information, or if I read it. And so that's what we mean by times in which those other gradual release of responsibility might be very appropriate in those cases when we're working with number word sequences and numeral identification and those kinds of things. Loving this podcast? Great. Subscribe so you know when new episodes are released and leave us a review on Apple so that others can find these episodes. We are stronger together. The second guiding principle is initial and ongoing assessment. Teaching is informed by initial comprehensive assessment and ongoing assessment throughout teaching. The latter refers to the teacher's informed understanding of a child's current knowledge and problem-solving strategies and continual revision of this understanding. The idea of initial and ongoing assessment is important for all students, and I want to emphasize that it is especially important for students with learning differences. We need to know what their current level of understanding is. We need to know what that foundational knowledge is and we need to monitor their progress so we continue to engender more sophisticated strategies for them. The third guiding principle is teaching just beyond the cutting edge. Teaching is focused just beyond the cutting edge of the child's current knowledge. I'm sure that many of your listeners are familiar with Vygotsky's Zone of Proximal Development. Les Steffi from the University of Georgia talks about the zone of potential construction or knowing what the student is ready to learn next. Um, Again, it's important that all students are engaged in mathematics that makes sense to them. Unfortunately, students with learning differences are often given tricks to use so they can do, I'm doing air quotes here, do math, even if it doesn't make sense to them. 
The next guiding principle is selecting from a bank of teaching procedures. Teachers exercise their professional judgment in selecting from a bank of procedures, each of which involves particular instructional settings or like manipulatives and that sort of thing, and the tasks and this varying selection on a basis of ongoing observations. So this principle is in contrast to the idea of scripted lessons or programs where you're expected to follow a pacing guide, do this on the first day, turn the page, do something else on the second day. You mentioned the activities that are included in the other books, but these activities, it's like it's a menu. It's what you choose from based on the needs of your students. And we want to recognize the professionalism of teachers and their ability to select the appropriate tasks for their students. I'm taking a quick break to remind Kids Math Talk listeners about all of the math professional development books that are available through Corwin Mathematics at us.corwin.com. Many of the authors of some of the latest titles have been guests on the podcast, including the authors featured in today's episode. Want free shipping? Of course you do. Then use our special code KMTSHIP, that's KMTSHIP, all caps, at checkout. Now let's get back to the interview. The fifth guiding principle is engendering more sophisticated strategies. The teacher understands the child's numerical strategies and then deliberately engenders the development of more sophisticated strategies. For me, the important word here is engendering. It has become one of my favorite words, and I use it whenever I can. When I'm talking about teaching mathematics, we're not talking about discovery learning here where we just like set students free to figure things out on their own. We want to set up situations, for example, counting on. I know there are programs that will say, oh, just put the number in your head and count on from there for a problem like five plus two. Oh, put the five in your head and count on two more. We want to engender counting on. For example, we might say, what's 25 plus two? I don't want to count from one to 25 if I don't have to. It makes sense then to just say 25, 26, 27. So that's just an idea of what we mean by engendering, setting up situations that just make it so enticing for the student to use a more sophisticated strategy. As we end the first part of the Increasing Equity for All Learners mini-series, I invite you to reflect on the following questions before listening to part two. How does your definition of numeracy align with the definition given in this episode? Which guiding principle resonated with you the most? Which principle would you like to discuss more with a colleague or maybe even your child's teacher? After you've reflected, head to episode 38 to continue this discussion on increasing equity for all learners. Share this podcast with your friends and colleagues to keep the Kids Math Talk conversation going. You can always tweet me with questions or comments using the handle at Kids Math Talk. You can also head to my website, kidsmathtalk.com slash podcast for previous episodes of this podcast. And join us next week for another episode of the Kids Math Talk podcast.